you might remember we've come as far. I mean, you think about what's going on in Joseph's life, right? He, he was taken by his brothers. He was sold into save, slavery. I mean, basically kicked into a pit, right? While they began to manja, as we say in a town, they began to sit down and eat while their brothers, while, you know, poor Joseph's sitting in the pit, their brothers are eating like that. And then we see he's obviously taken on to Egypt that way and he's brought into Egypt and what's happened, we've seen he's put in, before he goes into prison, we see he's serving in Potiphar's house and, you know, we see the sin of adultery about to be on the, on the rise there, but what does he do? He escapes it, he gets away from her, flees, as, it, as we're told in the scriptures, and he then finds himself, for doing the right thing, an innocent man finds himself where now? In prison. And then as he serves in prison for a few years, there was a dream, and interpretation, right? You remember that? And we went through that and through the interpretation, which was correct. He said, please don't forget me. And then we see two years that go by. And the chief cupbearer, remember that? What did he do? He forgot Joseph. And then we see more years go by, and eventually we see his brothers because of the famine. He begins to interpret the dream for Pharaoh. They remember, they call him out. He's put into a place of authority, a place of honor like that. And we see, we see his brothers now come down because the famine becomes severe in the land. And then what happens, we see Joseph now begin to put his brothers through many tests. Has there been a heart transformation? Is something different there? And he says, look, you know, where's Benny? Is Benjamin alive? Where's Benny? Bring Bring Benny to me. So the brothers go back and they tarry a little bit. They didn't come right back, right? But dad, right? Jacob comes back and goes, man, did you go in the cupboard? There's hardly anything. There's nothing in the cupboard. What's going on? Boys, you're going to have to go back and get us some more food. Take some money with you. Dad, we already told you if we go back, we, we got to bring Benny. Well, I can't, I can't let you do that. You see, because Benjamin's all I have to remember Rachel. That's all I have to remember is mom. I don't have Joseph. Joseph is dead. Because remember, that was the lie that he believed. Because he was told by his, his other 11 sons, or 10 sons, excuse me, like that. So he, he says, all right, he has this moment. We see the Lord, he goes from what? Jacob to Israel. We see a moment of trust again. The scriptures tell us he begins to believe. He begins to walk by faith again. And as he starts to walk by faith, Jacob begins to walk by faith again, Israel. As he begins to walk by faith like that, what happens? He says, take Benjamin and go. And then all the tests continue to proceed forth. And it brings us to this point of right as he was about to leave, the brothers are thinking, this is great. We're all going back. We got the food. You know, we got the, we got the loot back here, man. We're good. We're heading back. Only to find out that there's another test before them. And we see the least likely person that we would have thought to stand up, but it's in his loins. Because we know in the loins of who will come the Messiah. And that's right, Judah. In the loins of Judah will one day come Yeshua, Jesus Christ, our Messiah. And so he makes a deal. They go back. Judah stands up and says, look, you know, Whoever's got the cup, you know, whatever's going on, you know, hey, we'll make a deal. We'll, we'll stay in this place. Judah stands up and says, no. He says, I can't let you take Benjamin. He says, do you know what that'll do to my father? That's the last one. He's the last boy alive of his son, of, you know, Rachel like that. 
And we see Judah stand up like that as a sacrifice. And as we go into chapter 45 tonight, I want you to look very closely at the illustration and picture we're given of Jesus Christ. You can't miss it. You can't miss Jesus Christ off these pages the way that it was foreordained to see the typology that we see in this chapter. It literally leaps off the page. So let's pray, and then we'll begin in verse 1. Father God, we, we, Lord, we know your fingerprints through this word is God-breathed. It's everywhere, God. It's your word. And Jesus, we pray here tonight, God, that as we see this transformation in these boys, Lord, we see as you, as you told Joseph, as you, as you carried Joseph, as you, as you showed Joseph that he needed to persevere, Lord, so that he would be the one to be able to be used, Lord, by you to, to care for and protect and keep this line that would eventually lead to your physical coming thousands of years later, Lord. God, as we just try to get our minds around that, Lord, it, it's, it's overwhelming how you, how you allow all these things happen. They're all moving in motion, and yet, God, you're in control. You're on the throne. And it's through your perfect love, mercy, God, your grace, your gentleness, and your design for perseverance, Lord. You persevere with your people. You care and love your people, Lord. You're a great provider, God. You provide every need for us, Lord. And so, God, as we sit here tonight comfortable, Lord, under your word, we think of those that, Lord, have just been ravished by storms or by circumstances or by a call from a doctor or something, Lord, that they, a wind blowing that they didn't see, knocking them off, Lord, they're, they're balanced like that. God, we, we only have one place to go, Lord, and, and that's to your altar. And that's, that's what we want to do here tonight, Lord. God, we pray your Holy Spirit would meet us, that you would teach us and show us that our eyes would be open, our ears would hear, God, what your word has to say, that you would rightly divide truth here tonight, God, and give us application for the days of our lives until you should come again soon, Lord. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Chapter 45 here again in the book of Genesis, verse 1, it says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself. So, you know, the, the, the Hebrew here and the, you know, the connotation is this isn't just a holding back. He no longer, in his loins, in his, in his gut, he could no longer hold it in. It was pouring out. That's what it connotes in the Hebrew here. This is, this is something that is beyond his ability to control. He says he could no longer restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out. Now remember, he's going to be crying out in Egyptian. He's, remember, they understood Hebrew. His brothers are there. They're at the house. He invited them over for dinner. He's coming back now with them, right? And here he is speaking, you know, Egyptian. The, the boys, you know, including Benny there, have no idea what he's saying. But he's going to speak out loud. His voice is going to be elevated. It's going to be raised. And he says, make everyone go out from me. You know, they have no idea what he's saying. Maybe they're saying, go get the guards, we're going to kill them. I mean, think about it from their perspective. These are real people. Think about those 11 standing there. They have no idea what he's saying in Egyptian. All he knows is he begins to break down. He shows an enormous amount of emotion. He can't restrain himself. He raises his voice, 
And he tells him, you know, he tells, you know, an Egyptian, he says, get out. And they're watching this. They have no idea what he said. What would you be thinking at that moment? I mean, look at all the tests that he had put him through. Look at all the things that had gone on. They thought, surely, he's now brought us back here. He's, the, the money has been given back, but he's brought us back here. He's going to take our lives. This has all been a big trick here. Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. We're not told exactly how he does it. He doesn't speak yet, right? We know in verse 3 he'll speak. You know, Ana Yosef, he'll say, right, in the Hebrew. Ana Yosef. But, but at this point, he, he doesn't speak. We don't know. How did he make himself known? What did he do? Was it a look? Was it, was it a gesture? You, you know, think of your family. Think of your friends. You, somebody you maybe haven't, your cousin, somebody you haven't seen. There's a certain cork or a look to him, you know what I mean? Maybe the eyebrow goes up, something. Oh, golly, look how big you've gotten, such and such, right? Familial, family. There was something he did. We, we don't know exactly, but, but in some way, he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept out loud. And the Egyptians of the house of Pharaoh heard it. I mean, have you wept like that? You know what I'm talking about? The kind of weeping where you can't even catch a breath. I know what that's like when I, I remember, uh, you know, I was away from, uh, many of you know I was in the Navy, I was away from my mother for a period of time. We living, you, you go and live in embassies, you do different things. Coming back, and I remember seeing my mother for a long time. I haven't seen her in a long time. And I remember coming back, I had to break communication and I come back, I'm, I'm going up to Rochester. I walk in, I, see, I haven't seen her maybe, I don't know how long. And I come up to her, and she's just my boy, you know, and she hugs me. And man, when I was gone and I was doing training and everything, and you, you, some of you have served in the military, you know what I'm talking about, you kind of create a division there. You know, it's a, it's, it's a safety mechanism. And, and you're doing, it's a defense mechanism, maybe the right word. And, and you come home, and all of a sudden, I'm telling you, I was flooded with like 15 years of emotion at one time, just overwhelmed me. She, how are you doing? I couldn't speak. You know, I mean, she's looking at me. She's like, yeah, choking? What's wrong with you? She's like, did you eat? You know, I mean, a good Italian mother, right? Did you eat? Is that the problem? You need to eat. And I'm like, mom, come on. I'm, I, I'm trying to, you know what I mean? Maybe someone you love went on to be with the Lord. You're inconsolable. There's nothing you can do. You're just, you are just crying out. And you are weep. That's what, jo- 20 years have gone by. 20 years. And it's all coming out of Joseph. I mean, think of what he was in prison and all the things he went through. He counted the cost. And now, he's just, he's unable to restrain himself. He begins to just weep out loud. The Egyptian in the other room are going, what's with this guy, right? Because that would have been a sign of weakness, right? I mean, he's second in command, right? He's second in command of Egypt. He's right under Pharaoh. You're not going to show weakness. All of a sudden, they see him in the other room. What is, what is going on with him? Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Ana Yosef in the Hebrew. I am Joseph. That's what it would have sounded like. Ane Yosef. I'm Joseph. Does my father still live? 
Notice what he's thinking about. 20 years has gone by. Is that alive? Can you imagine what would you say? All the things you want to know about dad, all the things you want to know. I mean, how's he doing? Is he still up to his old tricks? You know, I know you, you boys have a change of heart. Clearly, I put you through the dress. I, I see a change of heart with you boys, but is dad up to his old, uh, you know, stuff? Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed. Circle that word. You know what that means in the Hebrew? Dismayed? Terrified. They're literally, how do, why are they terrified? Now picture this. What's going on at this moment? They're all together. Somebody's there the last time that they were together that wasn't there the first time. Who is it? Benny. Benjamin's there. He's about to go through in a second, and he's about to hear a revealing secret. Because according to the brothers, they told dad, and Benjamin was young enough, he was probably seven years old at the time. He was back with dad, if you remember. You were ripped up by ravenous you know, animals, and you know, they dipped the, whole, the, the technicolor dream coat in the goat blood. Remember that? And all of a sudden, here he is. He's alive. You're seeing it, and Benjamin's going to hear this in a minute, and he's going to go, whoa. Can you imagine the, I mean, even the looks on the eyes. Like, they're all sitting there. They're looking at him. They're terrified because they're thinking, you're, oh, this is not going to end well. This is not going to be good. I mean, last time I was with you, uh, I kicked you in a pit, beat you up a little bit, and then sat down and had some sandwiches. I mean, this is not going to be good. This is not going to end well. And on top of that, you got Benjamin sitting there, or standing there, and he's looking, going, what's Joseph saying? What's Joseph saying here? What do you mean? I thought you said... How? You're not Joseph. My brother's dead. My brother was eaten by a wild animal. Can you imagine the looks? Can you imagine Reuben, Judah, Simeon, Levi? And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. You know, come in a little closer. I'm sure they're kind of tiptoeing in at this point. Okay. They come a little closer. Come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother. He had to say it again. They're still terrified. They, they, what do you mean? He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom, hey, just to make sure you know what we're, what's going on here, let's let make sure we're on. You remember you sold me into Egypt? I'm him. I'm him. Now at this point, Benjamin's got to be doing a double take. What? Can you imagine the betrayal that that poor boy feels at that moment? I mean, he'd grown up with his brothers from those, you know, 19, 18 years like that, thinking one thing, only to find out 20 years later that your own brothers sold your other brother from your mother into slavery? How could you reconcile that? You wonder, did Benjamin himself want to go at him? Like, I'll take all ten of you, right? The confusion, the anger, the emotion that must have been present. And then what I love, I just love about this, and this is such a type uh, we see of Christ here. Look in verse 5. What does Joseph do when he sees the emotions are at their highest point? 
There's going to be anger there. There's going to be fear. There's going to be bitterness. There's all this going on. Benjamin's bitter. He's angry. The, the 10 boys, they're, fa- they're afraid. They're terrified. Everything's going on. What would Jesus say at that moment? When he appears and he goes up to people, what does he say to them? Peace. Don't be afraid. Right? He gives a calm. He gives a calm to the storms in our lives, doesn't he? Jesus gives a calm to the storm. What do we see this type here of Joseph? Look what he says. He says, but now, do not therefore be grieved. Can you imagine? Why is Joseph at this point able to say this? Because he went through a prison boot camp of discipleship. When he was alone in prison, and he thought he was forsaken because the chief cupbearer forgot him. And he had probably given up at that point maybe and said, well, Lord, you know, I know you gave me those dreams, but I don't know how, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't believe he ever gave up faith. I'm not, I'm not insinuating that. He never gave up faith. But I do believe there must have been nights in that prison where he began to thought, Lord, did you forget about me? Lord, I know you're a God of promises. God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of my father, Jacob. You're a God of promises, Lord. And I'm sure the Lord met him right where he was. And and the fact that Joseph's not bitter, because look at me with your eyes for a minute. How many of you can rightfully tell me right now that you would, knowing what just happened, seeing your accused, seeing your if I could say it in another way, your enemy in front of you who had put you in slavery for 20 years or allowed it, and you initially would have thought it was them not seeing the hand of God in it, how many of you would have said, hey, I want this guy. I want a piece of this guy, right? I'll just put it that way. You with me? I don't think too many of us would go, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely, that's it. You know, want to do it again? You know, no, right? Absolutely not, Right? We've got to be real. We don't want to pretend. We've got to be real. That, that's what we would think and feel. It's, and, and understandably so. Not rightly, but understandably so. But not Joseph. See, that quiet time with the Lord, God ministered to him. I, I know jo- Joseph. What did he name his first son? Manasseh. And what was that to symbolize or in the Hebrew? What was that to What was it, what's it mean? It's forgetful. Lord, I want to forget have you ever wanted to forget something so much because it was either it was so overwhelming to you and enormous in your life that you, you just wanted to forget it? Joseph got something better. He got something so much better. He got real peace. Because what did he get? He got reconciliation with the living God. He was reconciled to God through faith. He entered into the presence of the Lord when he was in prison or maybe even when he was in Potiphar's house and he began to understand that his life was not his own. That his life was not his own. And that all these things, they work together for the good who love God, who are called according to his purpose. He began to understand this before it was ever penned through the inspirational Holy Spirit in Romans by Paul. Joseph understood that. There's no bitterness there. There's no anger. If anything, it's a heart of comfort. 
He wants to comfort his brothers. He wants reconciliation for them too. He wants them to come in to that same relationship with the living God that he experienced over the last 20 years. Friend, I have to ask you a question. If you knew that in your lives you might have to go through 10, 15, 20, 50 years of hardship, but that it would cause you to surrender, cause you to release, cause you to truly live for Jesus Christ so that one person, just one person, would come to salvation. I have to ask you now, would it be worth it all? Would it be worth it all? We had friends, they went over to Africa. And they were over there for about a year or two. And I remember they went over, they had uh, six children at the time, I believe. And as they were over there, they were serving in, in the middle of, you know, you might say the jungle area. And as they were over there serving, they, they, they would turn around and they, you know, they weren't necessarily looking to plant the Calvary Chapel, right? They weren't, they were out, the ministry out there is one-on-one. And they were out there and they wanted to actually help the people understand how to, how to farm, how to grow agriculture, how to become self-sufficient. And as they began to serve over there and, and you know, one of the, um, his wife actually became pregnant. They actually, he actually delivered the baby over there because the closest doctor, I think, was five or six hours away Talk about faith, you know. He's like, I, I think I saw on the Andy Griffith show, let's get the hot water and some gloves. I don't know. I, I think that's what they did. I don't know. I missed the rerun. So, you know, but you know what I'm saying. They, they're really living off the faith of God when they're out there like that. There is nothing else. They, 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 they want to the faith of God. And he's standing, and they're sitting out there, and and they began to think about it. Lord, you know, there's these people, we're touching them, but we're not, we're not seeing this, you might say a groundswell. We're not seeing this thing where like, you know, 20, 50, 100 people are coming and, and they're learning how to, you know, do the agriculture. They're learning how to farm. And oh, by the way, we're having Bible studies and man, we're praising God. And he said, no. He says, there's, you know, a hut down the road, you know, like really down the road. And we go over and, we teach them and we work on their land and we plow so that they can plant and sow and reap. And we talk about Jesus and we open the Bible and it's real. It's not a classroom. It's real. It's real life. And I remember the wife, she came back and I remember she came back home and we saw her at our, you know, Calvary Chapel upstate, and I said, boy, you know, what was your experience? And she said, you know, by the time we were halfway there, you know, knowing we were, the Lord was bringing us back, we just said, if it would one soul that would come into salvation, it was worth it all. And they had five. And I just thought, wow, Lord, if we all had a little bit of that, just a little bit of that, what a difference the world we'd be living in. We know these things will come to pass. But God didn't ask us to put our heads down and go walk in a quarter and surrender. He told us there's a battle. He told us to stand and let the Lord do what he does. So we look here and he says, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry. 
And he says, with yourselves, because you sold me here. Don't be upset by this. I can't imagine what they're thinking. I can't imagine their face, their confusion. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Wow. Underline that in your Bibles if you're taking notes. God sent me. God gets the glory. Who preserved the line of Judah? Who preserved Israel? God Almighty. Now, friends, I got to ask you, if it's the God of the Bible that preserved the line, which the loins of Judah that would come through many thousand years later, Jesus Christ, who preserves you today? It's the ancient of days. He's God Almighty, El Shaddai. He never changes. Same today, tomorrow. I love that. He says, God sent me before you to preserve. You know, we, we see a little bit of that. Turn in your Bibles. Hold your finger here for me. Turn a little bit in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 105, if you would, please. We're going to look at a verse 16. We'll, we'll look at this from a, a slightly different perspective, but, but it's, it's confirming the promise. Psalm 105. He says, Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. Who called for the famine in the land? God did. It was God. He destroyed all the provision of bread. And then what's it say right there in verse 17, which we just read? He sent a man before them. Who was that man? Joseph, who was sold as a slave. You see, I believe Joseph understood this perfectly well. This was God's plan. This was God's plan. That, that, that's the only way that you could even begin to wrap your mind around this. That, that this man who had been put into slavery, beaten, gone through, you know, horrible situations in prison and everything like that. And he can look at his brothers and he could say, you know what? Don't be grieved. Don't, don't be angry. There's no bitterness. There's no malice. There's no anger there. He says, I came really so that you would live. He said, preserve, right? But that's so you would live. Now I've read that before in my Bible. Who said that? Who said that? I came so that you would live. Jesus Christ. Do you see the picture of Jesus all over this? Jesus Christ. He says, they hurt his feet with feathers. He laid in irons. I mean, look at this. He was laid in irons until the time the word came to pass. He was long-suffering, just as our Lord was. The word of the Lord tested him. The testings he went through, it says the word of the Lord. What's that talking about? Holding on to the promise. What was the promise? The promise of the seed. He knew that it was promised to his fathers, that they would inherit the land, that God had given the land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and one day, the tribes of Israel. Which, oh, by the way, 
who still inherited the land and inherits that land today. That was an unconditional promise. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach the elders wisdom. We're going to read that in a moment that eventually, as he's going to go back into to Pharaoh, he's going to explain to his brothers, what's he going to say? He's going to say, you know what? I am like a father to Pharaoh. Does that strike any of you by surprise? I am like a father to Pharaoh? who rules a nation, who rules Egypt. He says, I am like a counselor that gives wisdom. We read it in Psalm 105 too. I mean, well, let's go back. We're, we're going to get there. He says, he went to preserve them. Look at verse six. For these two years, so they're only in two years of the seven-year famine. That means there's five years to go, right? For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God set me before you to preserve a posterity for you in this earth or for you on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Who is our great redeemer? Who has delivered us from sin? Jesus. Do you not see the foretelling? Do you not see the picture here that we were given? Can you imagine as, as they would read back the rabbis and the, the Jews, as they would go back and they would look at not only the Torah, but they would look at the oral teachings and they would talk about Joseph and say, this is a typology for Messiah. And then when Jesus Christ walked on the road of Aramaeus and he began to open the scriptures to them, and he says, do you see Joseph here? This was a type of my fulfillment. This was a type of the character of me. Lord, it is you. It is you. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father of Pharaoh. I mean, remember, Pharaoh's the embodiment of Ra. That's, a, that's what we would say is a modern-day demigod. That's what Ra was. He was a modern-day demigod. Pharaoh was an embodiment of that. And to say that he was father of Pharaoh that way, they're showing prominence. He's showing authority there. That, that the very one that would be in control of the entire area that of Egypt at that time would listen to Joseph and his God. To listen to Joseph and his God. How we pray and desire that our government would call on the name of Jesus Christ. That our government, that our leaders would humble themselves and call out to Jesus Christ or listen to his people, the pastor of his people, someone that the Lord has put there. It can happen. And why would we expect anything less? We ask for revival. We pray for revival. Where does revival begin? Not in church. It begins in the heart. You look at the Calvary Chapel movement revival. Did that begin in a church? Where did that begin? Outside the church. And then they came in. 
They sat on the floor. They picked, you know, wherever they could get because they wanted to know the living God. He says, and the Lord of his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt, a counselor, we see him there, a comforter. Hurry, and he says, make haste now. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus your son Joseph, right? Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Wow. Come down to me and do not tarry. Can you imagine at this point? They're looking at him dumbfounded. I mean, it's bad enough Benny just had to get clued in. Now you got to go tell dad. Because remember, what's dad think? Dad thinks he's dead. Well, um, Joseph, we got one little problem with that. Um, I don't know how to tell this to you, but you're dead. I love you, bro. We can't do that. Right? I mean, that would have been the normal response. We can't do that. How are you going to explain this to dad? You thought we almost killed him before. He's going to have one of those moments where, you know, faint of heart, right? He says, go tell my father, make haste, do not tarry, come now, right? He says, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen. What does that mean? In the Hebrew, that name Goshen means draw near, Draw near. What has Christ told us to do once he is the, he, he's our living sacrifice? He died for us. He, he was resurrected. He was risen. What does he say? I want you to, all you who are heavy laden, right? Come in. Put on my yoke. I want to give you rest. Just come to me. Come near. That's what he asks us to come near like that. And what is he saying here? He's telling them, come to Goshen. Come near to me. So I can care for you. That, that's what God wants to do for you and I. He wants to draw us near. That we would come near to him, that he could care for us, that he could preserve us, that, that he could keep us in him. What a beautiful picture. He says, you shall be near to me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. Now he's saying this, and he has no idea how big the family is at this point. They're 70 large. He's got 54 grandchildren, four great-grandchildren. All right, he thinks, yeah, come near until they're all, you know, you know, I'm talking about Jacob when I'm saying he's got 54, you know, until they're all sitting at the dinner table, and 70 large, and all of a sudden he's like, I should have kept you back in Canaan. You know, we should have just sent the food, Right? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that's a big table, man. But he says, you know, bring everybody. Bring everybody. Just come. Your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. He says, there I will provide for you. Who's our provision? Jesus Christ. Lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty for there are still five years of famine. You know, I was reading this and I thought of the spiritual application of that. What happens if we don't come to the Lord? What happens if we don't open his word? If we don't study the word line by line, verse by verse, every jot and tittle? What happens when, when we, we just kind of, we, we don't feast on the word? We starve. We become spiritually, what? Machiated, right? We're, we're empty. He says you'll be in poverty. Think of the spiritual application of that, that, that we too, if we are not walking, if we are not drawing near to the Lord, we too will be found in poverty. 
Now, we're not talking about riches. We're talking spiritual depravity. Because not only do we have famine, but we have a biblically illiterate generation. We have people that don't know how to pray because they took the Bibles and prayer out of schools in the 1960s. Right? And, I don't, and, and, and don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying this generation. I'm saying the last five generations. I mean, you look from 1960 on. I mean, sure, there's a remnant, but how many people have grown up and they, they don't want to read the Word of God or they have no desire to open up the Bible to, to understand and unfold and rightfully divide truth? Because you're going to follow something. You're, you're going to follow something and you're going to be given doctrine of some kind, is it his? Are you going to be able to divide rightly truth? Are you going to, are you going to everything you hear, everything that you Google or Bing or everything that comes across the, the TV, everything, that, the news reporters, all that, we, we know all of it. We've, we know all of it, a lot of it's made up or who's, you know, cutting out news and information and, you know, putting a presupposition and wrapping it and then sending it out for our consumption. We know this. None of us are ignorant to it. But how do we divide truth? Are we able to open the word of God and say, well, that's a great question. Let me tell you what my Lord says. Or you know what? I understand you feel that way about that. And I could see the social injustice in what you're saying. But look what God did here at this time. Or look what, look what the Lord's going to do. Or did you know he's coming soon? And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. There's no interpreter. He's speaking in Hebrew at this point with them. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you shall hurry. He says, make haste. He says, don't, don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. You stay right on that narrow path. You see, what happened to Jacob. Jacob was supposed to make his way back to Bethel, the house of God. How many times? And what did he do? He crossed back over the Jordan. He, would he says, don't do that. He says, be right in the will of God. Wherever God sends you, you go. Friend, I tell you that today. Wherever God has you, you go. You, you, wherever he shows you, don't, don't wait till you feel like emotionally you feel it. Be obedient. Trust God, walk by faith. You won't regret it because you'll be in the perfect will of God right where he wants you and you'll be pressed into him and he'll be with you. He'll be, he'll be preserving you just as he preserved these folks here. He says, hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck 20 years later. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers. Circle all there. Unconditional love. Just like the agape love that Jesus Christ shows for us. Un unconditional. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Can, can you imagine, you know, the conversation? So, uh, what you been doing the last 20 years? How's it been going? Well, let me tell you. You know, or I imagine, you know, 
he, they wanted to talk like, how did this all, and he's just probably like, how's dad doing? How many grandkids did you say, 54? And how many great-grandchildren, my cousins now? And Oh my, 70 of you's, that's an Italian term for many of you. 70 of you's are coming? Oh my. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Well, God did that. God touched Pharaoh's heart. God touched Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts, wagons, okay, out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, your wives, and bring your father and come. Now this is very important here. Verse 20. Also, do not be concerned about your goods. What's he telling us here? Don't be concerned about your stuff. He says, I'm going to bring you into the land of Goshen. You're going to come near for me. I'm going to provide for you. Don't worry about your stuff. You're going to be looking at Cain. You're going to say, I go, well, all the toys for the grandkids. I mean, we got 54 of them. There's going to be a lot of toys. We got to load all that up. He says, no. Don't worry about your stuff. Friend, how many people are worried about their stuff today? I assure you, when you go to the kingdom of heaven, you're not going to care about any of your stuff. It's all going to burn. The only thing, what, what are we told in Scripture? Wood, hay, and stubble, right? That's it. It's going to burn. What remains is where the reward will be. The Bema seat, right? We read in the Scriptures the Bema seat, the judgment, the, the reward judgment, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crowns, man. What are we going to do? We're going to take them up and put them at the feet because we could do nothing of our own. It's only through the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to serve, gives us the gifting to do it. He says, just like Jesus said, don't worry about your stuff. Stop accumulating stuff. I mean, how many people buy bigger houses so they can put more stuff in the houses and they need more rooms to hoard more stuff? And then they have to put sheds outside because as though they don't have a big enough house 3,000 square foot later, they got sheds outside. And what's in the sheds? More stuff. And they got stuff for stuff now. You go to like the Walmart or Target, they got stuff holders. And they all come in different colors and sizes. And you pay more money for the stuff holders to put your stuff in that you then need a bigger stuff holder to put it in. And yet, people walk through and go, oh, well, this is a pretty color. I need it for my stuff. God is telling us, no. He's telling, he's, you know, Joseph's telling him very clearly, don't worry about your stuff. I, I'll tell you what, I, this is for me. This isn't for you. I look at stuff almost like a rope around my neck, something that just drags me. That's what I look at stuff. I'm not saying I'm a minimalist. I'm not a minimalist. But at the end of the day, I refuse to have anxiety because I'm choosing to juggle the financial debt to try to keep everything afloat when I don't need it. Because my God told me, don't worry about my stuff. And I know for some of you tonight, you're like, well, I'm never going back there again. 
Yeah, some of you are like, and if you're visiting tonight, you're like, great. We, that was a fun service to go to. I feel real good tonight. Let's go home and go to bed, right? <laughs> Look, you don't have a problem with me. These are Jesus's. This is the word of God, right? The idea is stuff. We, we don't need it. We just don't need it. Not all of it. For the best of land, land of Egypt is yours. Can you imagine the translation in the modern vernacular for Christ is I go and I have many mansions. I have houses. He says, the kingdom of God, you're not going to want this stuff. I promise you. I promise you when we are in heaven together and we're at the greatest family reunion ever, we're not going to be concerned about this stuff. We're going to be talking to all the people that touched our lives. People we didn't even know. People that because we talked to somebody else or because we loved on them and the compassion went forward and the movement of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God went forward and, and all of a sudden somebody's going to come up to you and say, do you know that I know Jesus because of you today? Who are you? I don't, I don't know you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Will you talk to such and such and such and such? And that person, oh, man. And you won't be worried about your houses, singular or plural, your shed, your John Deere riding tractor. Some of you know when I moved from New York, I had to sell the John Deere. I'm still working through that one. Forgive me, Lord. That was a beautiful track. <laughs> then the sons of Israel. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons or carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and they gave them the possessions of the journey, so it gave them what they needed to go back, right, and more. He gave to them all, to each man, a change of garments, right? These are raiments. I mean, when you think of the raiments here, I mean, these are very beautiful fabric, very expensive fabric. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver. Now, remember, they didn't have money the way we think of money. And so that's not to the 18th dynasty. That's, that's what this is symbolizing or explaining, not symbolizing, but what this is really saying is some of money, some of wealth, okay? And it was 300 pieces of silver, but not like quarters, right? Not like change, more like literally 300 pieces of like silver, you know? I'm wrecked. You, ever, you remember the Beverly... Hillbillies. Do you guys remember that? You guys are like, what? Where are we going now? Remember the whole oil thing? And, you know, they, go, they had the wagon behind them, and they're coming back in, and, you know, they settled. But you know what I loved about those guys? I know it's a story. I get it. But, you know, they're just millionaires, multi-million. But where did they live? In a shack. A nice shack, but a shack. I love that. They weren't concerned about their stuff. And what did everybody do? They looked, they made fun of them, right? Paul, you know, they, they make fun of them like that. And picture them going back with all this lumps of silver. And, and then Benjamin got what? Five change of garments. What five mean in the Hebrew, or actually in Egypt? What's five mean? What's it symbolize? A princely wage. Princely wage, that's what it's saying here. Five changes of garments in the Egypt, the number five is a prince. It's saying Benjamin's a prince here. 
And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and food for his and father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed and said to them, and this is again underlined this, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Again, I see a type of Christ here in Jesus and what he said. See that you stay on the narrow path because the path that is wide leads unto destruction. It's very easy to get off the narrow path, isn't it? It would have been very easy for these boys. I mean, look who he's talking to. Simeon Levi, right? The murderers. They took out a whole town, right? I mean, you got... Judah, who's transformed this one, but you got Judah, you got Reuben, you got who's unstable as water, you got all of them, and he's saying, okay, guys, here's 300 pieces of silver, you know, here's all these clothings, you got everything you need. He says, now make haste, but stay on the narrow path. Don't go to the left, don't go to the right. That's what he tells them. See that you do not become troubled along the way. Don't screw this up, boys. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. Can you imagine you walk into the house? Dad, how you doing? Joseph's alive. So what did you do for the last, I don't know, 250 miles? That just took me two weeks. What have you been doing the last two weeks? What? I'm sorry, back, back up, son. What did you just say? Uh, Joseph's alive, so uh, we got food. We got food in the wagon. Want the food? Can you imagine? We're told that he, he really didn't get over the death of Joseph, nor did he really get over the death of Rachel. He had longed, he had suffered. He was afraid to let Benjamin go because he thought what? He thought, this, was, this is the last of I have of my memory of my wife, who I love. He says, Joseph's still alive and he's governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. You know, I heard Pastor Joe one time teach this, uh, this passage years and years ago. And he, I don't want to steal his thing, but I thought the same thing. And I know he said it first, so praise the Lord for Pastor Joe. But I'm telling you what, that Sanford and Son, you know, remember when he's going, I'm coming, I'm, co- I'm telling you, I, I, when he said my heart stayed still, I mean, at that moment, that was what it was like. He literally was like, that's it, I'm coming. His heart stood still because he didn't believe him. He didn't believe him. But when they told him all the words with Joseph, he said to them, and when he saw the carts, so he, he didn't believe the boys, you know, they didn't have a very good reputation. Maybe, maybe Benjamin was the only one there going, no, Dad, this time they're really, really telling the truth this time. You know, maybe Benjamin's setting them straight. Okay, Benny, I know you're a good boy, but these guys. But he turns around and he looks out at the carts, which Joseph had sent to carry the wagons, and he said the spirit, and it says here, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. 20 years of thinking your son's dead. And not just any death, but, but a horrible death, ravaged by an animal. And now to learn that he's alive? There are no words. And we don't get any words. Between verses 27 and 28, we don't get a blow by blow. 
We don't get a blow by blow of exactly what happened. But these are real people and this is a real account. I, I don't know how Jacob would have responded to that. I don't know how he could have. Have you ever heard something? You ever witness a miracle? Many of us do when we see childbirth every day, right? But many, many of us witness miracles. Maybe the doctor said, you have cancer, you're going to die. And you begin to pray and the Lord sets it in your heart. No, I have something different for you. Trust me. And okay, Lord. And you come up and we, we pray over you. The elders lay hands on you. We, we now inch you with oil. The, you know, James passage there, we, we do, we're praying you go back, you get a MRI, a CAT scan, and it still shows the tumor. You know, you're seeing it, you're just not registering, it's, it's there, you're, you're, you, know, you know the promises of the Lord, but everything you're seeing outwardly doesn't make sense, because that's what you're expecting, you know, the tumor's there, you're seeing it, but you have the promise of God. Well, here's Jacob. For 20 years, he's believed his son is dead. Only now to hear that he's alive. And oh, by the way, how is he alive? I thought you boys told me that an animal that killed them, ripped them apart. I thought you told me that. And Benjamin's there. He knows the account. He knows what happened in detail. It's not like the boys can say, well, we thought, because Benjamin's going to go, no, uh, dad, let me tell you how this went down. No. And I don't believe the boys would have lied at this point because there's been a transformation of heart already we've seen in the boys. So I don't believe they would have lied. I have no reason to believe that from Scripture anywhere that they wouldn't have been genuine. But to hear that and try to reconcile that mentally, it's the same thing because then when you come in and you hear the Holy Spirit speak to you audibly and say, you're healed. You're not sick. You're, you're, you've been healed you know, you know the testimony. We, we, you know, we told you about Preston. That's what happened in our lives with Preston, that the Lord was going to heal him. We didn't understand it. We watched, you know, Lisa had it. She had, the Lord spoke to her, spoke to me. But everything in the, the lab reports, the blood reports, the markers showed inflammation, you know, Crohn's disease, all these things, got to go on the Remicade, infusions. Third of the people die from T lymphoma. That's what they told us. He may not live. We don't know what's going to happen. But when we prayed and we got on our knees, God said, no, he's going to be okay. But everything outward doesn't look like that. So what do you do? You do what the son, Jesus Christ, told you to do. You believe in the father and you believe the promises of God. Not that it's always just a snap of a fingers, but you, you believe by faith. And then finally, the doctors catch up. And that's when you get to tell them about the glory of God and the miracle. And we get to do that at least twice a year, every year, when we go back to the GI doctor and they scratch their head and they say, but it shouldn't be. He's not on any medicine. He's not doing anything. No, we avoid some foods and things like that. But Jesus healed them. And he led us to a man, a Jewish man, who told us about a diet, you know, the whole thing. Israel, 
Notice that in verse 28, it says, Israel. This isn't Jacob anymore. This is Israel again. The man of faith is there. He says, it's enough. He trusted in what God said. He remembered the dreams. I have no doubt at that moment, the dreams of how he said he would bow down and his brothers would bow down to the sheaves. Remember that? That he would bow down twice he was told that dream just as his brothers had bowed down and they remembered. Now, I have no doubt that Israel remembered the promises of God. He reconciled it in his brain through faith and he said, it is enough. It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. He says, I'll go see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all, the, with all that he had. So wait a minute, oops. Don't worry about your stuff. Eh. Israel had a problem with that. But he took his journey with all he had and he came to Beersheba. Can you imagine him going back near Beersheba and all that had gone down there? And what's he do? He begins to offer sacrifices to, his, to the God of his father, Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, why would he have to do that? Because Beersheba is what? Right on the border on the way back down to Egypt. And what did Isaac, what was Isaac told? Isaac was told not to go to Egypt. And I'm sure Isaac would have told his son, Jacob, or Israel here, we're not to go to Egypt. When your grandpa right? Or even your great-grandma. When Abraham went, man, Lot and the whole sin and everything that unfolded from that, when he went to Vegas, it didn't stay in Vegas. He came out, baby, and it was different. I mean, he, he was a different man. Lot was never the same. He went down to the city, got involved, went, you know, wanted the prestige, wanted the gates, wanted the wealth, wanted to be into the city where Abraham was, no, no, I could be out here. I'm a sojourner. I'm traveling through. And then Isaac was told, do not go down there. Don't go to Sin City, man. And now all of a sudden, Joseph's told his dad, come down to you know, Egypt like that. And everything in his judgment's going, no, but I, I want to see my son. I know he's alive because now I'm believing in the promise, but I, I don't, I'm not supposed to go to Egypt. He, you know, and I love that about our Lord. He knows our hearts. He knows the genuineness of our heart. This isn't, this isn't Israel trying to be rebellious. This is Israel that's just uncertain about what he's doing as he's taking steps of faith. Lord, confirm my steps. Have you ever prayed that as you're, as you're taking steps of it? Lord, confirm the steps that I'm taking. Lord, am I, am I on that narrow path? Lord God, forgive me. If I begin to get off, Lord, gently, we always add gentle in there, don't we? Gently move me back, right, onto the path. And he always does, if our hearts are right. And so we see that here. He, he begins to what? He begins to move him over, and he says, so he said, I am God, the God of your father, verse 3 here, do not fear to go down to Egypt. He knew exactly what he was struggling for I will make you a great nation there. He calmed him. He calmed his anxieties. You know, many of us have anxieties today in our lives, different things that we're afraid of. 
You know, I believe God wants to calm those anxieties in our lives if we give them over to him, if we release them to Jesus Christ. Many of us are struggling with addictions, things in our lives that we, we're working through. We're, Lord, I've, I'm struggling. I've tried all the psychotherapy. I've tried all the medicines. I've tried all the psychologists. Well, how about you try the real thing, Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He met with God and God reassured him. Have you ever asked God to reassure you? Whatever your anxiety is, Lord, take that from me and replace it with your perfect love and peace, Lord. I don't want to be anxious anymore. Pray that. Ask. For if you don't ask, you won't receive. Ask according to the will of the Father. And if the answer is no, Remember like Paul when he had that thorn in the flesh. My grace is sufficient. Even though we can't see it or understand it, it's not something we'll feel, but it's something we can believe and trust. That's what faith is. Faith is the things hoped for, the things not seen. He says, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you. And I believe Jesus tells us that today as we go through, whether it's out of our house to our jobs. He says, I go with you. I'll go with you to Egypt and I will surely bring you up again and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. What is that saying? It's very sobering actually what he's saying here. He says, your son will be the one that says the final goodbye that he will close the eyes as you pass from this life into the eternal life with Jesus Christ. For death is nothing but a doorway for a born-again believer. Death has never been anything but a doorway for a born-again believer. A non-repentant, non-believer, oh, my heart's desire is that we would all turn to the living God we would all place our faith in Jesus Christ. We would all believe in the promises of God. And that's okay if you're here tonight or you hear this on the web or radio and you're thinking, but man, I've done stupid things. So would Jacob. I mean, you look at Jacob and yet when we go to Hebrews 11, guess who's in the chapter of faith? Jacob. Abraham. Abraham made mistakes too. They're not disqualified. You're not disqualified because of your anxiety, your fear, your depression, whatever's going on in your life, sins. You're not disqualified. If anything, he's saying, come unto me. Come to Goshen. Come near to me. He said, I'm going to give you rest. I have the one thing you need, and that's my perfect love. And it's poured out for you from the very foundation, the very beginning of everything because I loved you first and you were obedient to love me. It was God's design and plan. I hope you're encouraged tonight. God's a God of promises and he promised to come back. He's coming soon. I mean, you look at the things that we see before us today and you, you just, you really can't, these are the labor pains. And we told the, we're told the frequency would increase. We know these things are happening. 
I mean, you, you probably saw the news today where, you know, uh, Kim Jong-un said what? He says, you know, if they keep, you know, doing what they're doing and Trump keeps doing what he does, he says, we're going we're gonna to send an EMP over the United States to take out the electrical and fabric network, right? You, you saw it probably. My God's so much bigger than that. Our God is so much bigger than that. We know in the days we're living, we, we know these things are going to happen. But we're not to grow weary or faint. We're not to be anxious. We're to be about a father's business. There's many people out there that are lost, that don't know Christ. And time is short and the stakes are high. We have a choice. Do you want to sit on the sidelines? Or do you want to serve? Because every one of us is on mission for Jesus Christ. Every one of us is called into the mission field. In your neighborhood, your home. When you walk out these doors, you enter the mission field. Don't take that for granted. Every breath you have is God-ordained. Let's live it to its fullness, serving him. We'll have no regrets. Run the race. Finish strong, as Paul said. Finish strong. We are in this together. And in a blink of an eye, we'll open our eyes and we will be up, caught up with Jesus Christ in the rapture. We'll be together. And we'll be looking around going, I like the rapture plan. 